In 2010, I was a junior at Wichita State, and I attended a conference for college students. They hold these conferences around the U.S. and even around the world now. They're called the Passion Conferences. Louis Giglio started them probably 20 years ago. Uh, it was a four- to five-day round trip because uh, it was in Atlanta, Georgia. So the student ministry I was a part of got a bunch of vans that they rented, and we all uh, went out to Atlanta for a unique worship experience. And I remember having just a really intense uh, emotional encounter with God. I sensed God's presence very close to me. And it wasn't, it was, it was throughout the whole thing. It was the songs, the preaching, even the announcements and the activities. It was, it was moving. Um, and so I have a hard time explaining it just because it was a moving experience. And I remember it fondly, but it's also... Uh, seven years ago now, and so I think back, and I'm, I was like, well, what made that so moving? What made that uh, such a unique time, such a unique encounter with God? Was that just the Spirit of God doing something unique in my life, uh, and there's just mystery there that I can't ever understand? Was it the volume of the music? <laughs> was it the fact that I was surrounded by 22,000 other people like me, other peers, who were also worshiping? Was it the talent of the artists and the speakers on stage? Was it sleep deprivation? Uh, because I probably only slept four or five hours each night there, and I had full energy every minute of, that, of those days. Um, what was it exactly that made it so moving, made it so powerful? Uh, and I looked back in my journal, because I was a regular journaler back at that time in my life, and uh, Nothing specifically stood out when I looked at my journals, just a bunch of exclamation marks, which just showed, hey, it was, there was something going on, something really powerful, and they were all about, about God and his greatness. And so it just confirmed what I remembered, but it didn't give me the pinpoint accuracy that I was hoping for seven years later. What was so moving about that time? Uh, so that's, that's just where I landed. Is it was just a moving encounter. I can't replicate it. I can't even validate empirically that statement that it was a moving encounter. You'll just have to take my word for it or doubt my word. You, you have to take it for what you will. But I was thinking this week, if it can't be substantially validated, are those moments just memories that don't have meaning? Sometimes I ask a question and then I wait till the end to give you a straightforward answer. This week, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you my answer in the form of another story. Another, it was actually one of, if not the most emotional day of my life, and it was my wedding day. So all that emotion on my wedding day, was that just a pleasant memory which fades over time and doesn't have meaning? Well, of course not. But it was because all of the emotion on my wedding day was attached to what actually happened on that day. The exchange of vows, a commitment for life to one person. It was a choice that I was making and that Rose was making. And so feelings are not just moments that turn into meaningless memories. Feelings are an important part of life, but they are not the most important part of our lives. They're an important part of who you are, but they are not the defining part of who you are. Your life, my life, every single human life is defined and shaped by our choices. And your choices actually can shape your emotions. 
if you make choices long enough, like going to the Y, if you're out of shape and you don't go to the Y and you start going, it's miserable at first, but if you keep going and you see some results and you feel the progress and you feel healthier, you'll begin to feel like going to the Y more often. Or if you don't like meeting new people and you begin to push through the feeling of nervousness or anxiety that comes with meeting new people, uh, then eventually you might still feel some anxiety, but you'll begin to also see the value of making those choices and your feelings won't be quite as strong or quite as threatening as they once were to you. Uh, The poet Maya Angelou or Angelo once wrote, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And I believe there's a lot of truth in that statement. Uh, And all truth is God's truth. He made us to feel. He gave us the emotional capacity that we have. But God does not intend for us to be ruled by our feelings. So if you remember last week, we saw that the Corinthians had been questioning Paul's leadership because he changed his plans. And so they were wondering, can we trust this guy because he changed his plans? But Paul is now giving another reason for them to trust him as he shows his emotions. In a a very appropriate way, Paul is going to lay his heart out on the line and in that way, give them reasons to trust him. And he's actually, as he lays his heart out on the line, he's showing them, he's modeling for them how to live faithfully in the midst of experiencing very, very intense emotions. So let's read the passage and then let's look at how Paul models, he gives examples of how to live in the midst of experiencing intense emotions. Uh, This is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 11. Paul writes, But I determined this for my own sake, that I would not come to you again in sorrow. For if I cause you sorrow, then who makes me glad but the one whom I have made sorrowful? This is the very thing I wrote you, so that when I came, I would not have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy would be the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much, to all of you. Sufficient for such a one is this punishment which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end, I also wrote, so that I might, be, so that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I also forgive For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So here, Paul is modeling how to live faithfully in the midst of intense emotions, and he does it by giving us three examples. Paul shows three examples 
of choosing. He made choices in the midst of all that he felt, these intense feelings. And so when I say in the midst of feelings, I want to show you what I'm talking about. Uh, On the screen, that's our passage. I don't expect you to be able to read it. But all the red there are emotive words. And that's not, I did not include love because that is a volitional word. That's a choosing word when rightly understood. Although it does have emotional undertones and undercurrents, I didn't even highlight forgiveness because that's a choosing word too. Those are all emotive words in red. So those are the feelings that Paul just laid out there for the Corinthians uh, to partake in and to, to see, to feel with him. So going back to the Passion Conference, the next year, 2011, I went again and I brought a friend with me. And uh, nobody knows this guy, but he said, uh, I don't know how people could doubt God's existence when you come to a place like this and it's just so clear that he exists, all these people worshiping him. And uh, that's fine if emotional, what he was saying was this experience helps my faith. That's what he was trying to say. But you cannot make emotional highs and spiritual highs a proof for the faith because otherwise you could get 22,000 Mormons, 22,000 Muslims together. You know, Muslims go on the trip to Mecca. You could bring people there and see, ah, the God of Islam is true because how could this happen? It's so moving. It's so emotional. You can't use those as proofs getting atheists in a room, singing and listening to a message would prove the same thing if that was a proof. And again, I'm not saying that emotions are not important. They are important. And they play a big role in making us attractive as people to other people. Jesus was emotionally compelling, but he didn't rely on his emotional intelligence. In fact, his emotions, they weren't even always in line with the Father. There was one time in the garden he prayed, uh, take this away from me. That, that's what he was emotionally desiring. But he chose, not my will, but yours. So his will was always in line with God's, even if his emotions weren't. And so all I'm trying to say is emotions, they make a really bad driver for your life. They have a seat in the car. And if they're not in their seat, Your car is worse off for them. You will not enjoy the journey if emotions aren't in their seat, but they should never be in the driver's seat. They can influence the driver and the driver's seat, but they should never be in the driver's seat. Thomas Brooks, he was a Puritan who lived in the 1600s. He said it like this, zeal, which is a strong desire for something, zeal is like fire. In the chimney, it's one of the best servants but once it gets out of the chimney, it's one of the worst masters. So keep the fire in the chimney. Keep the fire as a servant and not as a master. And so Paul is going to show us three examples of how to keep the fire in the chimney. The first example is in his actions. Paul chose to act a certain way in light of all that he felt. His actions, we see this in verses 1 through 4. He used words like, I determined, that's a choice. And then he wrote to them, that's another choice. He decided not to come back to them, even though he said that he would, like we looked at last week, 
that he would make two trips or, or see them twice. He decided not to do that. He decided to write to them. And he did all of this, all of his actions, his choices were for this purpose, that you might know the love which I have for you. So he chose to handle the situation the way that he did. And his feelings played a role. He didn't suppress them or ignore them. But he chose what was right, even in the midst of everything that he felt. And all of us have made choices in the midst of feeling things. We've all felt things, and we're all impacted by our feelings. But we need to be able to choose what's right and make our choices based on our clear intentions rather than letting our emotions sway us into choices that just make sense at the time. We choose based on what we believe to be ultimately real. And we all are people who are tempted to define reality for ourselves. But the God of the Bible is inviting us into a different way of living, letting God define reality, letting him define the facts. If you've been around Orchard since the beginning, you've seen this next illustration. Uh, and if you haven't, you'll see it again in the future because I like it. It's helpful for me. It's the fact, faith, feelings train. So we put our faith in the facts. We don't put our faith in how we feel or even in what someone else said. We put our faith in the facts of God's word and in the facts of God's character. And then we evaluate our feelings in light of our faith, which has been put in the facts. So we don't follow our feelings. We also don't ignore our feelings. But when our feelings are in line with the truth, then sure, it's the fire in the chimney. It's a good servant. But if our feelings are out of line with the truth, out of line with our faith, which is being put in the facts, and we always need to make sure that our faith is in line with the facts, then we live that way. So with that, are emotions good or bad? Well, I hope you know the answer is yes. It depends. What are they inviting you into? Emotions are always inviting us into something. So my first year at Passion, as I reflected on that experience, my emotions were pointing me to something that was true. It was inviting me to emotionally feel the truth of the gospel, the truth of Christ. But here was the most impactful takeaway for me for that, from that whole experience is even when I don't feel it, it's still true. The truth of Christ remains. When I'm not surrounded by 22,000 people, when I'm not listening to Piper and Francis Chan and Louis Giglio and others speak, when I'm sitting at a desk working a mundane job, the truth of the gospel still remains. And we have a choice to make in that. And we cannot always choose the way that we feel. But our choices is what define us. We can't always choose our situations either. One of my best friends uh, didn't mean to do this, I don't think. But my friend just said the phrase one day to me, why be miserable? <laughs> and my friend was talking about why choose to be miserable, even if you're in unfortunate circumstances? Why be miserable? Because you get to choose your mindset. That's what James was talking about 
at the beginning of his letter when he says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Not that we look for hardship, but we choose joy. We choose not to be miserable, even if we're in the middle of less than ideal circumstances. And here's a meme that I like and I wanted to share with you that goes right along with that. Why be miserable? Why make others miserable unnecessarily? When the milk is splattered all over the floor, this is what it says, and those eyes of a child are looking at you for your reaction after they spilled the milk. Remember what matters. It takes five minutes to clean up spilled milk. It takes a lot longer to clean up a broken spirit. So why be miserable? Why make other people miserable? Take a step back when you're feeling something strongly and evaluate, okay, what's true? What matters most here? And in light of that, how should I act? Because feelings can be really helpful and they can be really hurtful. It does take a long time to, broke up, to, to clean up a broken spirit. I've got a couple other uh, Puritans who have been dead a long time, but their wisdom lives on in these quotes. I want to share with you, Christianity does not abrogate, it does not get rid of affections, it regulates them. And grace comes not to take away affections, not to make us stoics, unfeeling people, but to take affections up to another level. We should feel. We should feel strongly about sin. We should feel strongly about Christ, about his sacrifice, and about his resurrection. We should feel strongly about our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should feel strongly about the people who don't know Jesus. And when we don't feel that way, we get to choose to engage that or to not engage that. One of the most helpful things for me is to sit back and realize, okay, what am I feeling and why am I feeling that way? Is that true? I often don't feel the truth, but I have to choose to believe it and trust that my feelings will eventually follow. Even if in this life I never feel perfectly, my life is not defined by my feelings, but by my choices. So what have you been feeling lately? And how have you been acting on the truth in light of that? The second example of choosing in the midst of feeling is that Paul chose his attitude. And he specifically chose an attitude of forgiveness towards the Corinthians. We'll pick up in verse 5 and read through verse 10 again. Paul says, If any has caused sorrow, he's caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order to say not too much, to all of you. Sufficient for such a one who's caused the sorrow is the punishment which was inflicted by the majority. Paul's talking about church discipline that had happened. So that after this guy who's sinned and has caused sorrow, after he has repented, you should forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he's going to be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I urge you, Paul writes them, to reaffirm your love for this guy. He says, to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test to see whether or not you're obedient. But one whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. Paul says, I've forgiven in the presence of Christ, if I've forgiven anything. So there's a lot of dispute you can read 
commentators and scholars if you want to explore, well, what was this sin issue? Personally, I think it was someone that uh, defamed Paul, disrespected Paul, uh, because he said, he hasn't caused sorrow to me as much in some degree as to all of you. Paul's, Paul's out for their interest. And, and, and I, I, I just see that phrase, he has caused sorrow not to me, but to all of you, as, as an indication that this guy disrespected Paul, and that was really his sin, was defaming Paul's leadership. Um, that's also John MacArthur's stance, but you can, you can decide for yourself. Some people think it's 1 Corinthians 5, the, the sexually immoral brother. Uh, what really matters here is that the dude sinned, the church disciplined him, and then the dude repented. And now what are you going to do with this guy who's made you feel all these feelings <laughs> in the midst of his sin? He's caused you sorrow. Now are you going to hold it over him? Paul says, no, it's time to forgive the dude. It's time to reaffirm your love for this dude. This is a test. Are you going to obey Christ? And forgiveness is a lot easier to talk about than to do. If you've been offended, you know this firsthand. If you've been deeply offended, you know that forgiveness is a lot easier to talk about than to do. Proverbs 19 says it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. When we forgive someone, when we overlook an offense, it doesn't mean like we act like it didn't happen. It means that you're entrusting God with justice. You're not trying to take justice into your own hands or hold it over them, make them pay for it in some passive way or some aggressive way, but you're entrusting this wrong that you personally were wronged. You're entrusting that to God. John MacArthur said that a person is never more noble and never more like God than when he forgives someone. It's the most godlike thing we can do. He says there's nothing more glorious that a person can do for another person than to forgive. And so remember as you're praying, like John prayed rightly for us this morning, Jesus, we want to become more like you. It's a hard road. But there's nothing more noble and nothing more godlike than to forgive. Corey Tenboom said that to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. Because if you don't forgive, you will be a prisoner to bitterness and you will be a prisoner to the devil. That's what the devil wants for us is to not forgive. Doesn't mean that we act like it didn't happen. It just means that we have settled our way of thinking about someone and about something. That's what an attitude is. It's a settled way of thinking. So is there someone that you need to forgive? And when you forgive someone, you settle it, but oftentimes it gets unsettled inside of us, in our minds. And so you just settle it again and again because you're refusing to become the prisoner of unforgiveness. The third example, the third choice that Paul makes in the midst of intense emotions is awareness, spiritual awareness. And this is from verses 10 and 11. He says, if, 
if I've forgiven anyone, anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan because we're not ignorant, we're not unaware of his schemes. So when it comes to the devil and his schemes, uh, often I feel ignorant and uh, I, I look back at my life and there have been a lot of times when I'm like, I don't know why this is happening. But I had a friend I met in college who he would often encourage me when I was discouraged simply by saying, it sounds like the devil is uh, at work here. It sounds like there's some spiritual warfare going on in your life. That was encouraging to me just because, oh, my eyes are opened. I, I remember that there is a devil who is working schemes to kill, steal, and destroy. Um, so spiritual warfare, I don't mean angels and demons are visibly fighting around me, but I do mean that God and the devil were both interested in what I was feeling and thinking, and that my thoughts and my feelings, they're not original to me. <laughs> they have, they have a, a supernatural source. They're inviting me into something. So I'm responsible for choosing what I go to when I'm invited. And this is true for all of our thoughts. But Paul had something specific in mind. He was just talking about forgiveness, right? And then more broadly, he's talking, about, he's, he's talking emotionally. And I believe that the devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy specifically by encouraging us to not forgive and also leading us down the wrong path with our emotions. So are you growing in awareness of the devil's schemes? Or are you, are you ignorant and you need to grow? Because what God is doing in your life and our life together is relational in nature. It's a relationship with him. It's a relationship with others. So you need to grow in awareness by growing in relationship. So in review, Paul modeled choosing in the midst of feelings with three examples. He chose his actions, he chose his attitude, and he chose to be spiritually aware. And we choose to act based on what matters most to us. That's how everybody functions in the world. We choose to act based on what matters most. We choose our attitude, our inner thoughts and our decisions in our mind, and that informs us as to what matters most. But we cannot believe or act on something that we're not aware of. So we first have to be made aware of the gospel. And that's what God, the Holy Spirit, does. He makes us aware of the truth. And no one else can believe and no one else can act if they're not aware of the truth either. That's one reason evangelism is so important. For as awkward as it is, and as politically incorrect as it is in our day, it's so important because no one can believe or act on what they're not aware of. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Because then we can start believing and acting and living in light of the truth and experience the joy that's found only there. See, Jesus also made choices in the midst of very intense feelings. Emotional feelings, physical feelings, spiritual feelings. I mentioned earlier how 
in the garden right before he went to the cross. He said to God the Father, not my will be done, but yours. There was nothing good about that feeling. (laughs) But Hebrews 12 tells us that he made that choice to place his hope in God for the joy that was set before him. So there is emotion. There is emotion even when there's no emotion. There's future emotion waiting. Fullness and pureness of emotion. And when he made that choice to give himself up for the sins of the world, he forgave you totally. Anyone who would call on him can be totally forgiven. So you can start this relationship with God and that's the way you grow in it too is by remembering the truth of the gospel. If you want that today, or if you think that might be happening right now, find someone after the service and tell them. He not only made you aware of the devil's schemes, but he gave you the power to overcome the devil. He gave you his life, which overcame death. He gave you himself. And what more could any of us possibly need to grow in relationship? The only thing we need is a willing heart, a choosing heart. So if you want to grow in your willingness to choose him, then keep remembering what it meant that he chose you first. He chose you first. He chose you in the midst of intense emotions of all kinds. And these are the facts. Put your faith in them. And God will be pleased no matter what you feel or don't feel. If you put your faith in the facts... God will be pleased. Feelings are not just moments that change into memories that have no meaning. Feelings are an important part of life, but they are not the most important part. They are not the defining part of who you are. The meaning of this moment and the meaning of every moment of your life, no matter how you feel, it's all tied to the Lord Jesus. So let's choose him together. Let's pray. Lord, we only choose you because you chose us first. Would you help us? Would you train us, Father, to become people who can rightly discern the truth, even in the midst of intense feelings? God, we pray this so that you would be worshipped, you'd be glorified in our lives. And as you're worshipped and glorified in our lives, you'd be worshipped and glorified throughout your world.